You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined by Gene Henley here to bring you another episode talking about Tennessee and Lady Vols hoops. If you're new to the show, welcome in. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're there. Subscribe to us today if you haven't already. If you want to follow us on social media, you can as well. We're on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever and on Facebook at Vol Basketball Fever. So go give us a follow, go give us a like, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. I think you can rate us and review us on Facebook as well. So if you want to do that, go give us five stars on both of those platforms. We would really appreciate it. Well, Gene, since we last talked, there's been quite a bit of news. Uh, some of it expected, some of it also kind of expected, but the timing of it was still kind of up in the air. So we'll, we'll kind of get to that in a second. But the, the news that was for sure expected that we talked about and previewed some in the last time you and I got together uh, <clears throat> early last week was the 2021 NBA draft. Uh, we talked about Tennessee most likely going to have two guys taken in the first round since 1977. And it happened. Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer both go in the first round. Only the second pair of Tennessee teammates in men's basketball uh, and program history to be drafted in the first round, which is crazy to think about. But, I mean, it, it just kind of shows, you know, t- Tennessee basketball historically hasn't produced a ton of NBA talent. But the ones they have is, have been pretty good for the most part. Uh, but Keon Johnson uh, goes in the first round. Number 21 overall pick actually gets drafted technically by the Knicks, but the Clippers, or they're, they're selecting for the Clippers, essentially. So Keon gets drafted by the Knicks, but is immediately traded and, and shipped off to Los Angeles to go play with the Clippers, which is pretty cool because Keon said he bottles his game after Kawhi Leonard, so he gets to actually go play and be teammates with Kawhi Leonard. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so he's with the Clippers, number 21 overall. Seven picks later, number 28 overall. Jaden Springer goes to the Tennessee Northeast team in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers. They seem to like a lot of vol talent. Obviously, Tobias Harris is currently there. You had Josh Richardson there. Uh, not anymore. He is now with my Boston Celtics, which is pretty cool, if, if I have to say. Hopefully, he stays there and flourishes there. He didn't do, he didn't have a great uh, last bit of the season with the Mavs last year. But those are your two draft picks. Eve Pons ends up and goes and signs an undrafted free agent deal um, with the Memphis Grizzlies as well. So Tennessee gets two guys drafted in the first round. Eve Pons goes to the Grizzlies, and we'll touch on it here in a second. But Tennessee right now also has seven guys, including those three, in action during the NBA Summer League. So, Gene, we have a chance now of seeing, you know, Tennessee's NBA footprint uh, of, of their effect on NBA rosters starting to grow <clears throat> a little bit more here. You know, the, for the last few years, it's not been uh, a whole lot. You've had Tobias Harris. You've had Josh Richardson. And that's kind of been really the two main guys for, for a while there. Now you have Grant Williams up there. Schofield and Bone have been you know, on two-way contracts uh, a couple of times here, and they've, they've been in the NBA a little bit. Uh, you did have – I'm trying to think of – gosh, I'm trying to remember. There were – hasn't really been that many guys, like I said, besides Tobias and uh, Richardson that have really hung around because Stokes, Jarno Stokes didn't really hang around a whole lot. It's been a while since Watson, C.J. Watson played in the NBA too. So you haven't had a whole lot of Tennessee names to really 
get attached to. Jordan McRae hasn't really done a whole lot in the NBA. He's he's bounced around, but hasn't been up there too much. Scotty Hobson has signed a two-way deal here and there with the. I think he even got a ring with the Cavs, if I remember correctly. Uh, here he or Jordan McRae did one of those guys got a ring with the Cavs. I can't remember which one it was now. Um, but it's it's nice to see Tennessee's NBA footprint kind of grow a little bit more. Uh, to kind of break down a little bit here about the draft, we'll talk about it now. I saw several. Well, I guess before we get to that, let's just talk about the, the fits and the teams first of all, before we get into kind of the the topic that I know is going to bring more discussion between you and me. Seeing Keon go to the Clippers, seeing Springer go to the 76ers, Gene, how do you feel about the fits of those two teams? Because I think with the 76ers and Springer, I think that's a team that you know that that's a, a competing team. That's a team that's going to compete for the, uh, the East, Eastern Conference. You know, going to make the playoffs most likely. I think it's pretty cool that he's going to go be with Tobias Harris. You know, say what you want about Doc. That's 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 not a gosh. Let me make sure I'm right. I believe Doc Rivers is the head coach of the 76ers still, correct? Yeah. Okay. Thank goodness I didn't just mind. You know what on that one. Uh, <laughs> I think so true about Doc Rivers. He, I still think he's a, a good coach. He's not a bad coach. I don't think. Uh, Jaden going over there with him was pretty cool. And then Keon Johnson, again, going to the Clippers to play with Kawhi Leonard, who he modeled his game after, I think is just a really cool story. Obviously, a very athletic freak. They both, These guys both need to go places where they can be taught and they can develop their offensive game even better, especially with Keon getting his jumper you know, improved, his three-point shot improved. He showed during his, his one year at Tennessee that he's capable of learning and improving. Cause I remember early in the season, he was so bad at free throws. Like he was making 50% or so, or so of his free throws, I think early on in the year. And then he ended up finishing the season, making like 70%. So he, he just on that alone showed improvement and he shows a willingness to learn and adapt and get better. I don't know. I, I'm just being honest. I don't know a ton about the Clippers enough to know, you know, if it's a great, amazing fit for Keon or, or what, but I know enough about the 76ers to know that, I think that's not a bad fit at all for, for Springer, and then he can go there and learn. I don't imagine both these guys or either of these guys are going to come in and be, you know, getting 20 minutes a game or whatever as rookies this year uh, for the respective squads. But I think overall, again, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a second. I think them not being drafted in the lottery, actually, it, you know, it may be, you know, fans may be upset, and say, oh well, it sucks that Tennessee couldn't get a lottery draft pick or whatever. I think though, they went to some pretty good spots, and I think it, it, it could end up being you know, they didn't go to lottery. I think these two guys are probably in better situations than they, they possibly could have been if they'd been drafted by a lottery pick. We'll get into that more in a second, but I, I'm curious your thoughts. You follow the NBA close, more closely than I do <coughs> if you have an idea or any opinion on the, the fits of these two programs for these two guys. Yeah, I think in both cases you're talking about some interesting stuff because the in both of the their, their landing spots – you're talking about situations where there's a little bit of controversy is not the word, but there's a little bit of unrest, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you look at Philadelphia, you have the whole situation with Ben Simmons. Uh, <laughs> and if you look in L.A. Uh, with the Clippers, you're wondering just what the end game is with Kawhi. Uh, now, I don't think Kawhi's going to play this year. So I and obviously the whole Simmons thing kind of makes it interesting because, you know, if he shipped out, what do you get back? Uh, but I'll, I'll say this much: in Springer's case, I think you, you're looking at somebody who may have a chance to find his way on the court, 
Um, because in the event, you know, we'll just spitball and say that uh, that Simmons is traded somewhere else. Now you kind of have a situation there where you have a, a spot for a guard. Um, now I'm, I'm assuming you would also get a starting caliber player back, but the playoffs it was Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry mm-hmm. and I, I feel like there's somebody else that I'm missing. Oh, George Hill. Yeah. Who yeah, is yeah. So there's not a ton of depth at this particular moment. It, you know, if Simmons doesn't leave, I know they're going to pick it, you know, and there's probably some moves I haven't seen over the past 24 hours, but um, you're, you're talking about a situation there where there's going to be a chance, if nothing else, I'd imagine you want to bring somebody, Jaden's age, you want to bring him along slowly. Like Maxie had two years at Kentucky, so he's a little further ahead when he got a little more NBA ready. Whereas, you know, obviously Springer certainly has a lot of potential, but uh, he's so young. I mean, I don't think he turns 19 until maybe like September, October, somewhere around there. I I don't know. I don't know when. I just always saw he was 18.8 years old. So, um, So I'm looking at a situation for him particularly where it's like, you got a chance to learn and maybe have some minutes. I, I don't know if he's going to be a year one type of kid, but maybe if he gets himself ready to, you know, be in a position to play by year two. Because fact of the matter is, if you're gonna if you're gonna burn a first round pick on a kid, I don't care how early or how late it is, you want that kid to contribute. And Philly fans are very unforgiving, regardless. And uh, if if Springer's not in a, a position where he's ready to play by year two, year three, now you're upset. I mean, like, Daniel, you're you're a Celtics fan. You know that whereas you feel a certain way about Grant Williams, not everybody shares your opinion. Because that was like a top, what, 20 pick? He, 25 he picks? Yeah, he was number uh, 22 overall. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there's a lot of people unhappy because – we always want to play this game where there's somebody later in the draft that is, that is playing better and everybody wants to play the game where it's like, well, maybe we could have had this guy, but no, we took this scrub who, you know, can't do anything and blah, blah. So uh, a lot of the stuff with, you know, Springer, I think in Philly will, because there is a expectation. And I think, I think this is another reason I like it for both guys is there is an expectation of competing for a championship, for both of them regardless of how realistic if those were two teams that people actually thought had a chance to win a championship especially well no I'm sorry uh, Sixers lost the same round as the Nets but once the Lakers kind of got knocked out you know you start wondering hey man what's going to happen here but the Sixers couldn't beat the Hawks and so it is what it is but uh, that would be an interesting fit for um, that's an interesting fit for Springer and obviously in Johnson's uh, place I uh, can't remember the kid's name. He had a really good playoff game and a clincher for the Clippers. Uh, it's like six seven. Can't remember his name, but he had. Like, I, I I can yeah I kind of talking about. Threes, um, hit a ton of threes. Made made a bunch of shots. He wore number fourteen. Um, I, I know oh, everything. Uh, about uh, Terrence Mann. Yeah, so you're talking yeah. about a kid there where, um, that again, I spoke on this last week, development. That's player development there. 
and you can't be so wrapped up on we can't be so wrapped up on just superstar 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 that we don't pay attention to the player development aspect Mm -hmm. uh terrence mann was developed uh to a place where he could be a, a good player there um they're going to need some more of that because you know Kawhi, if he does come back, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'd say with about ninety five percent certainty that he'll, he would probably come back. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to make yourself a free agent, you know, when you just had surgery. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, regardless, if, if he plays this year, and I don't think he will, from some stuff I've heard, if he plays this year, it's going to be very limited. Which means you've got a you've got a spot there for some minutes. You've got a spot there for some guys to make moves, and and so you, if you're Keon Johnson, you I mean you need to immediately be in the gym. You've got Talu, you've got some coaches there that can kind of work with that jump shot of his, but you can't coach for the inch vertical. And so now you're talking about in both in both situations you're talking about two guys who found themselves playoff fits. Yeah, if you want to throw in like Eves, because I mean we've obviously talked about the other guys in the past, but haven't talked about Eves. I mean you're talking about a guy who is getting an opportunity for a playoff caliber team, or obviously a playoff team because the Grizzlies didn't make the playoffs. They're all good fits, and I mean basketball is a lot like football, where um, if you're not going to get picked. I mean, if you're not going to get picked up, you kind of want to have a little bit of control over the choice that you make. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't really, I'm not 100% sure just how um, NBA, like, undrafted free agents work. I can't remember. I know, obviously, in NFL, you know, college kids can just pick, you know, they may have seven offers. They just pick the one they want. I think that there's some similarities there. And so Eves was able to find himself a good situation. Um, a place he's familiar with, you know, he's played in that arena. If it gets that far for him, um, he has played in that arena. I can't say he's had success because he shot horribly that game. Uh, I was my first game on the Tennessee beat, and he shot horribly. Uh, but uh, I mean, like, you're in, you've got three guys that have found themselves really good situations, and I don't think you can really ask for anything else more. It's, it's just. I don't see either any of them contributing, specifically Johnson and Springer, because we kind of know that they're going to be there. Uh, I don't really see them contributing consistently, um, but you never really know. I mean, Johnson slid for a reason. That shot needs a lot of work, and I don't think that's a win. I don't think that's a over the summer fix, but it can be fixed. I think. I think. I, I believe he can turn into at least a somewhat respectable shooter. Like I said, with that athleticism, you don't have to be great. You just have to make people respect you, you know, shooting that shot. And, um, you know, he has a chance to work with a guy in Ty Lue who obviously is a champion. And um, and I think showed that his championship wasn't, wasn't just simply, I had LeBron. Now, that certainly helped. <laughs> but I mean, he, I think he showed this off season that he was a really good coach, and again, he just got beat by a better team in the end. But he made it to the conference finals without his best player, so um, really good spot for him. We'll see what's going to happen with uh, Jaden and Doc. You know, there's some people that are 
really starting to sour on Doc, you know, just because of the um, his inability to hold leads in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people are starting to sour on him, but I, I think he's still a pretty good coach, and he did have that team hovering around. No, they were the one seed. Never mind, I was about to say hovering. They were the one seed in the East. Uh, yeah, I think doesn't he have like four or five of like some of the worst like collapses or whatever in, in playoff history or, or something like in recent history? Like I remember seeing a graphic on I think Twitter of like he's had some of the worst. Like his teams have had some of the worst collapses or like you know giving up leads or whatever in, in recent playoff history. And I was like, man, that's just I one of them was with the Celtics, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I remember him not, but he also won a title with the Celtics. But it seems like since then though, it's been. I think it's, it's been rough. I think it's three two leads, and that isn't always fair because yeah, one right. Them, one of them was that twenty twelve when like LeBron James had like forty five, like some ridiculous, ridiculous. It was the twenty twelve playoffs. They had game six in Boston, and LeBron I think had forty six, thirteen and five or something crazy, some crazy stat line. Um, and it was like the game that it was the game that you know if. When people have the LeBron meme of him like staring straight ahead with his locked in face, that was the game that it happened at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I remember the forty six point. I don't remember the the rest, but regardless, he had forty six in. I guess what was the Garden is the Garden. Uh, he had forty six points in that game, and that was one of their. And then they lost Game Seven. Um, I believe that was in Miami. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I mean, like so. There's some now when they they blew the three when he was with the Clippers then blew the big lead against uh, the Rockets and Josh Smith and uh, like Corey Brewer beat him in, in a game it was like it, it some of them are really bad yeah those names and, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying just names alone uh, I mean if people notice like Josh Smith was very loud on his on his like IG story this year when you know when the uh Sixers were blowing a lead again this time to the Hawks and it was you know he had played a role and I also think that I think that Smith played for Don but anyways uh like I, I do think from a bigger picture perspective you're talking about a guy who also did have some pieces there like Maxi like who got better I mean, Dwight Howard's a made man. Uh, Embiid is ridiculously good. Tobias Harris, another ball, uh, good. He didn't develop those players, but I mean, he had a hand in helping putting Maxi in a position where he could have be a big time contributor in a playoff series. Yeah, Shake Milton. That's what I'm forgetting about. I don't know how you forget about anybody named Shake, but you know he had some moments too, and some of that can be attributed to Doc. So I think in both cases, as we as we kind of come back home with it, you're talking about two coaches and two places where development has been a big thing. It has, you know, there is evidence of players being developed. And you've got two, two kids there, Johnson, more than Springer, that need developing. And uh, so in that case, uh, you, you have – opportunities for these guys to be developed for teams that you would certainly think would be playing into March and quite possibly June. I'm sorry, March, May and quite possibly June. 
So time will tell. But I think that obviously they got good landing spots and the fact that they're not in more button franchises and actually teams have a chance to compete and you can learn from from pros and potential Hall of Fame members. We'll come back to these two really quickly. I wanted to run down the, the guys who are in the um, NBA Summer League right now. Of course, we have the three we just mentioned, Pons, Springer, and Johnson, all in the Summer League uh, with their respective teams we just talked about. With that mentioned, that we mentioned, yeah, Pons of, the, Pons of the Grizzlies here. But you also have Kyle Alexander with the Suns, Jordan Bone with the Pacers, Jordan Bowden with the Nets, and Admiral Schofield with the Hawks. So seven guys in action for the NBA Summer League. Of course, you know, guys like Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson don't need to go through Summer League, so they're not. But those seven guys in there and uh, saw already highlights of Pons doing, uh, you know, his typical freak athlete air Pons things going up for an alley-oop, which was pretty cool. And I have the box score here for the first Summer League game of Eve Pons' career. They played against Utah. Memphis won pretty handily. Uh, Pons had a pretty good game, at least based on the box score. 12 points, 2 blocks, an assist rebound. 5 of 7 shooting is 2 for 2 uh, from the 3-point line. So that's in a plus-minus of 28, which wasn't even the best on the team because you had 4 guys with a plus-minus of 30 in that game for Memphis. Um, by the way, interesting note here, another SEC guy who we talked about when we did uh, this is when this was an SEC podcast. Uh, Xavier Tillman. Gene had 11 points and 13 rebounds in that game in, in 22 minutes. So I got a, a double-double in his, like, probably it's his debut, I guess, in the Summer League. Also four assists, two steals, and a block for him. He was always a, a stat-stuffer guy, so I think there's a there's a chance he makes it into the NBA as a, you know, just a bench player, I think. But good for Pons. We'll, we'll you know, keep updated on all these different Summer League stuff. But seven different players on there. I'm, I'm curious how many of those guys will make it on two rosters, whether it's as a two-way contract or whatever. Obviously, I think Keon and Jaden will. I think Pons will, and I think Jordan Bone will, because I think Pacers is an interesting fit for him. But I'll be really interested to see if a guy like Alexander, or I don't think Bowden probably will, uh, just being honest, but I think if a guy like Alexander or Schofield can land with those respective teams, with with the Suns for Kyle, and with the Hawks for Schofield. I'm not going to cat out Jordan Bowden. Um, he's proved me wrong before. He, he's definitely a hard worker, uh, but it's also with the Nets, so you know, we'll see about that. But I, I'd be curious before we go back into Keon and Jaden. Gene, I think those are those are some interesting teams and names to keep an eye on for for the summer league. Again, summer league. I, Cal Alexander had a pretty good summer league. I think two years ago. Yeah, when he was when he was first eligible. I think with the Heat, and he signed on. I don't know that he ever made any minutes in the NBA. I think he did some stuff in the G League, but I don't think he ever really made a whole lot of noise. Didn't really do anything last year. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. Just like Journal Stokes was a really good summer league and, and G League player, uh, but never could really make it into the NBA. Schofield been pretty good in the G League, but again, hasn't really been able to really break into the NBA. And, and I think Bone, to me, has the highest upside out of all those guys um, in terms of, you know, being able to actually get quality minutes in the NBA. Because he has. He, he, he may have played more than either of those guys in the NBA. I'll, I'll pull up the stats really quickly while you kind of share your thoughts on that before we go back to Keon and Jaden, but I think those, you know, of all those seven guys, I think we see obviously Keon and Jaden make it, but I think of the remaining uh, five, I think at least two probably get two-way contracts, if nothing else, because I think they have the the enough physical athleticism, a physical uh, intrigue with, with Bowden and Pons that I think a team will at least do a two-way contract with them if I had to, uh, if I had to bet on that, which I'm not going to, but if I had to, that's what, that's what I would bet. <sighs> Kyle Alexander's in a really good place. Um, 
I do think he's in a good place because, as we saw in the NBA Finals, those margins are very thin. And, you know, we can say all we want about Giannis, and Giannis was amazing, but that series really changed when Sarge went out. And so the Suns need interior depth. So when I say that Kyle Alexander's in a really good spot, it's not necessarily to go out there and be a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just to be a contributor for a really good team. Um, <clears throat> my, my whole thing with Bone is how much longer can people just sit here and say he's got a lot of potential? Right, and he's right. got to get better at three-point shooting like he just does. I just don't like the word potential is a scary thing to say. And it's nice when you're first coming out of the league, coming into the league is not so much as you go. Um, You know, he, he had the high of getting drafted. Um, But that's pretty much been the high. I think he's had some moments here and there. But yeah, and looking it up, actually, uh, even though Schofield didn't play any in the NBA last year or this past season, he's actually still played more minutes and games than um, Bone. Bone played 10 games his first year, 14 games his second year in, in the NBA, uh, has totaled 249 minutes, whereas Schofield played 33 games in the NBA in his first year as a rookie and even started to and played a, a grand total of 368 minutes, but did play this past season. So technically, even though Bones has been scattered th- across two seasons, Schofield still played more in the NBA than, than Bone has. Sorry, I, had a, I wanted to throw that out there since I looked it up. No, it's good. And, you know, like, where'd you say Schofield's going? Uh, with the Hawks. Hawks, okay. Um, interesting opportunity for him. And... Well, look, and the key, and the good thing about, uh, the good, like the good thing about summer league is, it, it's almost like AAU. Like you're not, you know, like the guys who are drafted, you know, like the Keon Johnsons and Springers and guys like that, they're out there to kind of show their team what they can do. But if you're one of these guys like Bone or Schofield or Alexander. This is a tryout for you, and not specifically for the Hawks, not specifically for the Suns, or where'd you say Bones at? Pacers. Or the Pacers. You're trying out for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's all good tape. It's uh, everything that you could, anything that you can put on tape. Like, Schofield may go out there and do something that the Hawks may not necessarily have a fit for because was they're in an interesting place with not knowing what John Collins is about to do. Um, you know, but like it, it may not, you know, it, there may be an opportunity for him in Atlanta, but there may be an opportunity elsewhere for him. You know, who knows? I, I would actually say that like Alexander and Bone have a better chance because they just seem to have you know, maybe more. You know who Admiral would be good watching a lot of tape of, and it's funny because this person had another comparison at one point. Would be PJ Tucker. 
Hmm. Yeah, and he was <laughs> he was someone that people like to liken uh, Grant to. That exactly where I'm going. Mm-hmm. But Admiral has a mindset that I think is more dogged than Grant, if that's fair. Yeah. And like he was the type of guy who is a physical presence that, you know, and we're in a day and age where it's not like you specifically have to play, well, is he a three? Is he a this? Is he a that? But look at, like, just look at the NBA Finals. The guys who played the quote-unquote, you know, four positions, Jay Crowder, P.J. Tucker. Another one of those guys is hard like 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, uh, P.J. is 6'5", 245, which that's, again, that's a very similar build to what Admiral Schofield was when he was at Tennessee. Because at some point, you've got to realize, if you're going to fight, if you're going to fight for this... Uh, this NBA dream, you're going to have to figure out how you can fit in. Like PJ Tucker, people forget was Big Twelve Player of the Year mm-hmm. at one point in college, and then he had to go overseas to figure out a second who. Yeah, he I was be. I was just looking at his 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 career tra- trajectory is so interesting. He played he was a a German League MVP final Finals MVP. Like he played overseas for a while. He played I think what, one year with the Raptors. And then went overseas for multiple years before getting back into the NBA in 2012. Yeah, and so, like some of these guys, it's it's a case of you've got to figure out what works. Now, if you're a guy like Admiral, you have a chance. Um, like he was naturally a better outside shooter than Grant. Naturally, yeah. Oh, yeah. now I say by the time that his career ended. Admiral had become a person who had, you know, was maybe not a volume shooter, but he shot a lot of threes. And he shot a good percentage from three. Grant kind of had to develop that. I'm not saying Grant didn't have a good shot, and I still remember the three he hit. Ole Miss? Albers? Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Uh, He hit a big three, or maybe it was Florida. But he had a big three in one of those games late. Uh, and just the willingness to take the shot was good, was huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, even, even in the NBA, his two years, he was a he shot 25% from three his first year, and he shot 37% this past year from three. It's like, he, you know, he's going to put in the work and to get better at it, so yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like he could... Like, and you don't even have to be a great ball handler in some of these cases now, because like the league has been kind of just shifted to where we're going to just hand the ball off to the stars and everybody else, you know, just kind of make yourself available and hit shots when I pass you the ball. Like, Admiral can do that. But Admiral's got to do it on a team that's better than the Wizards or OKC. Uh, (laughs) That's just reality. Yeah, You know, he's got to be in one of these places where, you know, he can be surrounded by good guys. And I think... I think Grant Williams has some of that too. Uh, he's shown to be a good defender and all that stuff. But I, I, going back to the summer league stuff, I think that um, I think that Bone has a chance because he does have upside. I get that. I just this is year three, mm-hmm. and it's just like man, like I want to buy into it. 
Like there's so many coaches that are sort of thinking, I want to buy into it. He's so quick, he's so fast, and how much longer can we re can we recycle Jeff Teague <laughs> or one of these other guys? Like how, how many how how many more times can we recycle the same gap? We're gonna have to get younger. Um, I don't know if there's like a good comparison for what he who he should look at. You know, like maybe a weird person in a weird way to kind of just watch, to you know how to figure things out would be Cameron Payne, because hmm. Cameron Payne was a joke his first few years in the league. And heck, I say that as a Bulls fan, and I hated his minutes. And then he went overseas for a year and got a chance to recreate himself and came back in the bubble. And then heck, he looked great. But like these guys have to like the reality was. None of these guys were really in high demand in the NBA, ever. Like the and it's we've had this discussion. We've had this, yeah, you know, we've had this discussion before. But the reason why they weren't ranked this high, coming out of high school, wasn't necessarily because they didn't project to be good college players, because they didn't project to be good pros. And a lot of time, your five star guys are being projected by college analysts because they would be pros. They, they fit the mold of a great pro at the next level. Jaden Springer's a 6'4 point guard. Keon Johnson's a 6'5 freak of nature. I mean, Eve Palms is like a, at one point, like a French four-star guy. Mm-hmm. Like, so, but then you look at Grant, who is a 6'5, 6'6 post player. That's not a knock on his ability. He's a far better player than any of those names I ever meant, that I mentioned. But he didn't project. Admiral didn't project. You know, Jordan Bone didn't project. Cal Alexander didn't project to be pros. So fast forward three years, they're all middling around in some in some way, shape, or form to figure out exactly where they belong. And so you look at where they are. And, and so it's always a funny argument to me when people are like, man, Rick Barnes had three pro at four got four pros and couldn't figure his stuff out. I'm like yeah. The 22nd pick, the 43rd pick, the 57th pick, and a, and a summer league invite. And that's not exactly brimming with talent. Um, <clears throat> they were just good. So who knows if any of these guys ultimately last. Make it to that second contract, you've officially made it. And that's going to be, mm-hmm. I think, as well. But these other guys, it's like, man, they're just trying to figure some stuff out. They're going to bounce around these summer leagues. Uh, maybe one of them has a breakout. Maybe Admiral shows some P.J. Tucker, Jay Crowder type abilities. Because um, he is a good shooter. And that will keep him in the league. And he's strong. He's physical. And I don't I mean, maybe he guards well enough. I don't know if he's like crazy. I don't know if he's as crazy as P.J. Tucker is. But uh, <laughs> If he could get an extra extra layer of crazy in him, then he he may have a, a way to hang around because uh, it's a different mentality up there, man. And it, it, it's a vastly like I, I've got I've got a few friends that have played in the league and talking to them in hindsight, it's it's a different mentality that you have to have and. You could be as uber talented as possible. I mean, you could be one of the most talented people in the world, but you just there's a mentality that you have to say, "Oh yeah, by the way, 
the number 55 pick in the draft averaged 26 points a game in college. Scoring is the issue. It's figuring out what is what is being required of you, what's being asked of you at that level and having to swallow some of your own pride because who you were in college. I mean, look, man, we saw what Grant Williams was at Tennessee. He's nothing like that up there. And he, this dude was a two, what, two-time SEC player of the year? Mm-hmm. I mean, Admiral Schofield was a 1,000-point scorer. Jordan Bone was a ridiculously quick point guard that not that I don't think a guy in the SEC could stay in front of. I think a guy in the country could stay in front of that year. Like the, and, and those three guys are like trying – they're different places trying to figure some things out. Two of them are just trying to figure out a way to get into the league and stay there. A third is trying to just figure out how he can hang around. Um, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. That's not a problem that Springer and Johnson will have, at least at this moment. But they're both going into their rookie years. You certainly hope they can figure it out. But, I mean, the reality is, if Keon Johnson never figure out the jump shot, it some of the same stuff. Yep. Yeah, he's got to he's got to figure that out for sure. Some of the Sorry, same I didn't mean to cut, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 good. I was wrapping it up, but I was just saying it's some of the same stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, like they're they're gonna have to figure out certain facets of their game. Um, obviously, high ceilings and high, extremely high ceiling in Keon's case, and probably a high ceiling in Springer's case. Um, but Man, I mean, in all these cases, like these next few weeks could be great for Tennessee people, not named Tobias Harris or, uh, I mean, Josh Richardson, who I think has kind of found himself as a place in the league, or not so much so. But either way, I mean, to have this many guys get an opportunity uh, certainly is uh, certainly is special. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting, obviously we, like, we're rooting for all these guys to go and you know, do well and then hopefully the land on the team because it's always nice to see guys succeed and achieve their goals and that's obviously the goals of these guys is to go uh, make it and play in the NBA. So hopefully they do and hopefully Richardson goes and kills it on my uh, my, uh, my Celtics. And I just saw <laughs> a, uh, a tweet from, I guess we're recording this on Wednesday, a tweet from Tuesday from a guy named Taylor Snow who I, I follow who covers the Celtics uh, from years ago from the, the Rivals uh, when he was a, a high school player, his, his rivals.com photo, his profile picture was him wearing a, in high school, wearing a Celtics jersey. So, <laughs> probably at the time, if I had to guess 2010, that was probably wearing a Paul Pierce jersey, or, or Ray Allen, maybe. Uh, it doesn't have the number, I just see the old... Eddie House. Black, the black Celtics script with the, the green and then the black trim around the collar and the sleeves, so I can't tell what... Yeah, I can't tell what... what player it is but it's 2010 so I'm assuming it's probably one of the big three that he's wearing on there so that's pretty cool gotta be Kendrick Perkins (laughs) god Kendrick Perkins anyway let's go back to my weirdest follow on Twitter is Kendrick Perkins interesting I did not know that that's pretty that's that's probably your weirdest follower I gotta say random I have some random Twitter followers like and I'd say he's probably uh Maybe my most, I guess he'd be my most famous. He's certainly my most random. Uh, There's a, he, this guy, I think, has, does the case for like a lot of celebrities and professional athletes will like 
I guess their social media manager or whatever will like go and follow like thousands of people at the same time. He hasn't unfollowed me even though I haven't followed him back, but Urban Santana, who's a pitcher in the major leagues, follows me on Twitter. So that's okay. my weird one. I think Jose Bautista followed me for a, a long time on Twitter too. Again, another MLB player. And I don't I have any NBA or NFL players, just like the weird the MLB guys who go and follow me and I don't follow them back because I don't yeah. care like about those guys. I think it's like Kendrick, uh, Bomani Jones, Ooh. and uh, there was somebody else that followed me, and I feel like I followed them back, and they unfollowed me or something. I can't. It was like some, it was some ESPN guy. I think it, I, I don't remember, man. It's been it's been years. But I probably said some stupid stuff, and. Uh, <laughs> It happens. Um, I've been doing this too long, Gene. I've been doing this too long. I've been on Twitter for over nine years at this point. Golly. Anyway, uh, let's go back to Keon and Jaden. Uh, before we move on to the last topic here, um, after this topic, I want to talk about a little bit here, and we were talking before we hit record. Um, I do this would have a lot of discussion. We've already talked for a while, but I don't care. I think this is a, a good discussion to have here. I'd had a couple people tweet or text me and I saw this on Twitter and, and stuff too, talking about if Keon and, and, and Jaden had come back for another year at Tennessee, would they, you know, think they could have raised their stock and at least one of them, if not both could have been um, lottery picks. They'd stayed for another year and, and worked on their game in, in college and whatever. And now with the NIL rules and stuff, you know, they could make money and, you know, what's, what's the difference between what they could have done in another year at Tennessee and going to the NBA. And I, I just, I get where, people are coming from with that because they wanted to see the full potential. I, I think that's that to me more than anything else is fandom being fandom and wanting to, and, and realizing that Tennessee fans didn't get to see probably the full potential of what Keon and Jaden could do because of COVID um, because the team makeup wasn't, you know, you had those two guys and you had, you know, good players with pawns and the Fulkerson, the Fulkerson wasn't at full health for a lot of the year because of COVID and everything too. And Josiah Jordan James, it seems like he's kind of been nicked up a lot. Anyway, it's like I, I think what that says to me more than anything is Tennessee fans just being fans and saying, hey, we didn't get to see these guys, what we thought was their full potential on a really good team. And they would have, have I think they wanted to see him come back. And But you always want to see players come back and you know, return for their second, third, fourth, fifth, and in John Ferguson's case, tenth season at the school that you love and root for. And want to see them, you know, improve and, and kind of tap more into that potential in a second year at Tennessee with the potential of playing with a guy like a Kennedy Chan or, or playing with, you know, Ferguson at full health and, and playing with, you know, Viscovi and Bailey and Huntley Hatfield and all these guys. And maybe if Cam Walker can take, take a step forward, you know, seeing them come back for that. But I also think fans, you know, seeing them not, seeing Tennessee not get a, 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 a lottery pick was disappointing too. But I think, to me, Gene, it's like, could they really how much more of an improvement would they've would they've made with another year of college that they aren't going to make in the NBA and I don't know that the NIL yes they would have been able to make money with the NIL um, congratulations to John Fulkerson for getting an NIL deal with Powell's and that was the most obvious to me one of the first things I thought of when the NIL passed was well Fulkerson and Powell's are going to make a deal so congratulations to him and congratulations to Powell's for that um but yes, they would have made money with NIL at Tennessee, but they're going to make more money being first-round draft picks, even if they aren't lottery picks, in the NBA. They're going to be taught by um, you know, 
I would imagine, I think so good coaches. I think both Lou and, and um, Doc are good coaches. And obviously, you know, the assistants are going to have a lot of uh, handles on that as well. And they're also going to be playing where in college you're playing other college athletes. And yes, you're going to play against future NBA guys, but you're playing in the NBA. Every guy there is an NBA player. You're, you're playing with the best of the best in that league and iron sharpens iron. They're going to get better by just that alone than they would, I think, with another year at Tennessee. I just don't buy the – if they'd come back with Tennessee, they're guaranteed to be lottery picks. And even if they were, I don't think it's a bad thing that they weren't lottery picks. Yes, it it's, doesn't have the prestige of saying, look, we got a guy drafted in the top 15, that you got a guy drafted maybe in the top 10. That's something you can brag about. You still got two first-round draft picks for the first time in, like, 45 years. You still have two guys who, you know – Again, first-round draft picks. Do you guys that it's something that Tennessee has, I, I can't say this enough. It's something Tennessee doesn't do in men's basketball. You don't get two guys drafted in the first round in the same year in men's basketball at Tennessee. Like that just doesn't happen. It's happened twice ever, and and the program's like what 80, 90 years or hundred years of existence, whatever, however long they've been around. Like that doesn't happen at Tennessee. So I, I I just don't buy that. And also, I, I, we just <clears> talked about it. I think they're better fits at the, the places they are than they would have been at pretty much any of the teams that were drafting in the lottery. Like that's if you're in the lottery, you didn't have a good season, or you or you know, maybe you own the rights to that pick because of you know trades and stuff in the past. But most of the time, if you're in the in the lottery, you aren't a good program and a lot or a good team. And a lot of times, those teams are repeatedly in the in the lottery. It's not just like, oh, they're in there for a year or two and then they're back out because they improved. A lot of those teams have been in the lottery for a lot of years, and a lot of years consecutively too. It's like, I, I know you have thoughts on this, Gene, so I'll, I'll toss it back over to you, but like, I just don't, I don't, I, I think people are saying it and it's coming from a good place most of the time, but I just don't, but I don't believe and buy into the idea that if they'd come back, that they would have been guaranteed to be lottery picks next season or next year, but also I don't think it's a bad thing they weren't. I think they're, they're they. I don't know. I I just don't think coming back to Tennessee would have guaranteed them being lottery picks, and also don't think it was the smart move to come back to Tennessee. I think the smart move was to go ahead and cash in on your potential and end up, go get drafted, and they both ended up being first round draft picks anyway. So it worked out for them in, in the long run. It, it worked out for them. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I think I will say that. Uh... Like, going to the league, they don't have to deal with classes. Right. If they, if they want to go to school, if they want to take classes, they can do that in their own time. This is an opportunity for them to make money. They, they have, they're now with coaching staffs who are 24-7 um, focused on trying to work with them in the preseason and um, – you know they can they can have like shooting coaches and all the sorts of things, uh, all the sorts of things that they're going to need. Like I, I always hate the argument that they that they would, you know, that they could improve their stock by be. They're not going to improve their stock by being older. Uh, right, I mean, like yeah. look at the guys who, if you look at the guys who people want to play the improve their stock. I mean, Tyrese Maxey was a second-round draft pick. Yeah, that's exactly what's going up right now. <laughs> came back for a second year. Emmanuel Quickly, who I'm pretty sure Emmanuel Quickly was the exact same number recruit that Jaden Springer was, or maybe Keon Johnson, one of the two. 
coming out of high school according to 24 7 i think they were both i think they were both 18 um that is my random thing for the day i'm pretty sure they were both like somebody was 18 there um and or no 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 i'm sorry it was josiah sorry about that it was josiah uh jordan james but i'm looking at that uh, so like when you look and you're, you're like the reality is like it's it's selfish to say that and i don't say that in a bad way i simply say that like it, it's you said it it's a fan thing this is something that fans want to do well they would have gotten better if they had come back i mean says who uh i mean like based off what because your draft stock is going to start dropping a little more uh maybe you know maybe an offseason season shows he can shoot a jump shot a little bit better maybe he gets hurt uh and so now all of a sudden he's a little bit better of a shooter but he's also injured and can't jump 48 inches Besides, and the biggest point is once you get a draft grade that has your first round, you take it. Because it ain't going to get better. I mean, like, Keon Johnson could have very easily been a lottery pick. I mean, heck, I mean, that, as recently as like three weeks ago, he was uh, like seven in, in a mock. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, some of it's just, you know, the right situation. And if people, if people watch the draft, I mean, heck, the guys that were sitting up there were guessing wrong the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, or, this, this draft was. It seemed like it was the, one of the hardest ones to predict. It yeah, seemed like Kid- at least. Poor Kendrick Perkins is still trying to figure out how to pronounce most. <laughs> Golly. And, and, and so. And that guy ended up going 15, not to mention the guy who I think went to Houston a pick later, who I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He was like, he's 6'9", some guy from another country. They kept trying to pick him, and, you know, the, the commentators kept trying to pick him in the draft. It was an impossible draft to, like, to figure out. You knew that most likely Kay Cunningham was going one. Jalen Green would most likely go two. Heck, they were showing Jalen Suggs highlights and they picked somebody other than Jalen Suggs at four. Mm-hmm. And everybody had to like, oh, God, we got to get some college to the other guy. Like, they were already predicting. They, they had the cameras on Suggs and everything. You got past, like, three, and nobody knew what was going on whatsoever. Like, the fact of the matter is those two guys found themselves really good fits. And last time I checked, you've got Jalen Duran, Imani Bates, some guys like that who are – going to be in next year's draft. So there's no guarantee that they would have risen any sort of stock. They would have just had another year to play in Knoxville. And for them, is that worth it? Obviously not. And that sounds cold, and I'm sorry, but it really isn't worth it. Like, to... If you're getting a draft grade, I mean, I guess maybe, like, if you're a Jordan Bone guy person then maybe you say that but um, I still would argue that his stock was not going to rise considering the fact that all the people he got assist off of were gone Uh, you got a lot of assist to Kyle Alexander um, 
Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, all three of those guys were already gone. And, uh, well, or were leaving, I should say. Mm -hmm. And as we noticed, as we figured out over time, Lamonte Turner was going to be gone too. Yeah, I will say that Bone on that team would look different, but it would, I mean, you make a great point. Like, you'd have Turner, who ends up that season, you know, having to call it quits halfway through the year, not even halfway through the year, but before SEC play. I think if you had Bone, Bowden probably shoots better because he's not, all of a sudden doesn't become just the guy. If you have Viscobi, again, if you have Bone, do you pursue Viscobi the way you did? Like, does that, he doesn't become, I don't think, as much of like a, like a priority and like a urgent, we had to get him in here because we need a point guard guy. So, I mean, I don't think you you make a good point. Yeah, you don't need him. And, uh, like, that was a very offensively challenged team. Oh, yeah. Bone is not making you considerably better in that regard. Uh, he just makes you, he just gives you another option. But even when Lamonte was there and he was out there pretty much playing like Trey Young plays in Atlanta, where it's like, you know, Lamonte scores or Lamonte assists. I mean, if you look at his numbers through those like 11 games, he was averaging like 12 points with one good arm. And like eight assists a game, and he wasn't yeah, turning right now. It was yeah, twelve point three points and seven point one assists. Like he was yeah. yeah, and he wasn't turning the ball over a lot. So, like the numbers that he was putting up with one good arm were, I mean, were pretty were pretty spectacular. But it was all him. Like the whole offense was being run through him. So basically, what you saw from Lamonte, you know, so say Bone is there first semester. I mean, he's there that year. Maybe Bone's stats look... Uh, maybe Lamonte's stats don't look as good first semester because you also have Lamonte. But then, you know, Lamonte gets injured and decides to retire. Lamont, I, I, don't, I don't see Bone's stats looking any different than that. Maybe a little bit more scoring, but those games are also a lot more difficult too. Like, you, you, don't, you weren't facing any of those... Uh, easy sorts of games like you know I don't even remember who they played in the early part of the season I know there were some tough games VCU and Florida State but there were some also there are also some of those home games against like a, a north like a UNC Asheville type team none of those existed in second I mean the second semester of the season yep. it was all, so all, with, all SEC schools at that point in Kansas because I'm pretty sure they played Kansas like every single year that uh, so, I mean it, so it, it, there was no like it, if you have if you have the chance to go pro, you go pro then. Like if you, I mean, I understand it. Like most of the kids who, most of the kids who bet on themselves and come back for an additional year, um, it's the difference between maybe second round and first round type stuff. Maybe an extra year would help. But if you look, most of the guys who, most of the kids who came back, I mean, who, I mean, who weren't freshmen, you had a pretty specific reason to come back. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really remember, you know, obviously the draft is all over the place this year. Um, but like I said, I mean, nine times out of ten, kids, if you have that opportunity, are going to take the opportunity to go. 
especially in, in an era where, like it or not, where you go to school, that really does not matter if you are a five-star player. It really does not matter at all. Like I said, if you look at where all the five-star kids are going, they are all over the place. There's one going to Milwaukee this year. I get it. His dad is the head coach there. But there is a five-star kid playing at Milwaukee. Like, it does not matter. So it's as nice as it is, as nice as the stories it is that Tennessee's getting these five-stars, these kids are just like, okay, well, I mean, we're just, where, where should we go? Hey, let's just go to Tennessee. And we'll win some games and it'll be fun. And, you know, obviously the environment you hope this year is going to be great. You hope. Um, if, you know, if we get Pat, if we can take some more steps to get, you know, beyond uh, COVID. Uh, so you, you certainly hope that Huntley Hatfield and Kenny Chandler are going to, uh, get an opportunity to play in front of like really good crowds, um, but but yeah, I mean like you're just at that place now where it, it doesn't truly matter because if you're a five star kid, nine times out of ten, you're leaving and immediately going to the pros, especially when it's like when you're in a conference like the SEC. Uh, it doesn't always work out. Javante Smart spent three years in college. Uh, and I think he's on the Heat summer league team. I think is what I saw. Um, doesn't always work out that you can leave in seven, eight months. But y'all heard Will Will Wade say he's a multi-year guy, which was the hot, which was obviously the hot point of everything that he said in that in that particular recording that got that got leaked. That was the only thing he said of substance in that. <laughs> you didn't say anything else of substance. Gene, this, is the, this is the second straight week you brought brought up Will Wade. <laughs> oh, it's just funny. I had to, man. Dante <laughs> Smart's five-star, man. Like, it's mm-hmm. the, uh, but no, but it, it doesn't always work out for the five-star guys, but obviously the expectations, they're going to leave in eight months. So have fun with them, enjoy them, and then just let them go on their way. Yeah, you mentioned Emmanuel Quickly as a guy that Peel point two as a you know the guy who stuck around for two years and it, 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 that again his first year, I mean he averaged five point two points, one point eight rebounds, one point two assists for the a Kentucky team that he, I think how many minutes did he play that? He averaged eighteen and a half minutes. Like you know he he could have gone after that year and, and be drafted probably in the second round based off of you know some production in college, but him being a five star out of high school and based on talent and potential probably going in the second round. Again to your point though that this isn't a guy who got a first round grade after his first year of college and and then came back to college like he didn't get a first round grade his first year he he came back because he wanted to improve his stock and get to the first round and he did and he got drafted number 25 overall so to your point this wasn't a guy that did this to go improve his stock to go to uh become a, a, a you know try to become a lottery pick he was trying to get it to where hey i want to get drafted <laughs> and not just second round i want to get drafted into the first round and and you know upgrade my stock that way and it worked for him end up being the uh, SEC player of the year. And also to your point earlier, you mentioned that his ranking, and you're right, it, it was uh, Josiah Jordan James. Both those guys were number 22 in the 2 or 7 composite. But Keon Johnson's pretty close. He was number 19 in the composite, and quickly was number 19 in 2 or 7 sports, their ranking. So, you know, actually not, you know, you're kind of right on, on both those, but it was it was uh, Triple J you were thinking of in terms of where they were in the uh, composite. So, and, and again, Josiah is going to come back for his third year. He may come back for his fourth year at Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy that, again, 
if he comes back, it's not because he's trying to <laughs> he's going to try to come back to become a, a lottery pick. He's a guy who would come back for a fourth year if needed uh, to maybe bump into the first round. But I think at that point, if you're most fourth year college players don't get drafted in the first round. It, I feel like that's a rarity. It usually it's obviously five-star, one-and-done guys. It's second-year guys who've been there two years, and, and it's sometimes guys who've been around for three years will get drafted in the first round. But it's rare. I mean, obviously Grant Williams was a, a three-year college player who got drafted in the first round, but it's very rare to get drafted in the um, in the first round if you've been at, at school for four years. I'm trying to remember... Did he get drafted? Yeah, but Peyton Pritchard's the only one I can think of recently that was in college for four years and they got drafted in the first round. That was by the Celtics, who, <laughs> if we stop out with Grant Williams, I don't know that would hold them as the uh, barometer for, like, great late first-round draft pick success. And Peyton, I, I will say Peyton Pritchard had a good rookie season. He, he was a surprise, and I thought he played well um, with Boston, especially with all the Kimba Walker stuff with him not starting the first part of the year with Marcus Smart getting injured with Jeff Teague being on the team and then not being on the team. So I, I thought Peyton Pritchard, you know, he had a, a pretty good um, rookie season, but again, he, he's a rarity. Most time four year guys don't get drafted in the first round. And even then it was a late first round on a team that has shown some, let's say interesting drafting uh, decisions over the last four or five years. But anyway, do you well, to, to move uh, on? Real, Go ahead. real quick, just for, uh, Chris Duarte from Oregon, four-year guy. Oh, yeah, right, right. I forgot he was a four-year guy. Yeah, actually committed to Western Kentucky, uh, backed out of it, uh, ended up at Northwest. Yeah, went to Northwest Florida State College and played two years at Oregon. So um, Yeah, and he was, a, he was a lottery pick. Rare. It's very, very rare to your point. Uh, very rare to your point. But um, – it occasionally happens. Occasionally. Yeah, he, he is an outlier, and he is like, but he's a fantastic example. He's he's a he's an outlier, but he's a guy that you know, if you are, <laughs> he's a great like a, a journey player. He's a guy who was a he's a JUCO player. They went to Oregon, and then it ended up being a lottery pick. Like that's a really really cool story. Uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year, uh, first team All Pac-12 was a third team All American this past year. Like he he is a, and he actually I think he's actually yeah he's the JUCO Player of the Year before he went to Oregon. So, like, he's just a really great story. I, it'd be awesome if he wouldn't get, uh, I don't think he'd be NBA MVP, but if he got some sort of, you know, all, you know, some sort of all-team selection in the NBA to kind of complete that of being the Juco Player of the Year, Pac-12 Player of the Year, and then go win some sort of all-NBA team uh, selection in the NBA. That'd be awesome. I, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Like, I, I forgot that he was a guy who played four years in college before he got drafted, but I always like Chris Duarte's story. He's a, he's a really hard worker. And I, I like him um, as a player. So hopefully he works out um, in the NBA, whether it's with the Pacers or, or wherever he, you know, ultimately sticks in the NBA, but he got drafted by the Pacers. So, yeah, that's a good point. Good good bringing him up. I think slightly younger than uh, – um, six weeks younger than John Fulkerson. Wow. Yeah, I remember – I think when Duarte got drafted, I don't remember who it was, someone tweeted out about how he was uh, only a few months younger – or a few months uh, – yeah, just a few months younger than uh, oh, what's his face? The guy we just talked about who was playing on the finals recently, who was really young. No, uh, which one, Booker? Yeah, yeah, he's just only a few months younger than Booker, and I was like, yeah, Fulkerson thinks only like six months younger than Booker. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it's just it's incredible the the age disparities with these guys who are just now leaving college, and Booker's been in the NBA for multiple years at this point, is like basically the same age of these guys. So 
it's just interesting with when things like that happen. But yeah, he, he's an exception. Um, but for the most part, if you're a three or four year guy, it's very hard to get into the NBA in the first round. You're usually a second round pick if you're getting drafted. But anyway, to get to our last topic here, to talk about it, I guess kind of briefly because last week I did interview one of his assistant coaches or one of his coaches um, at Knox Catholic. But Gene, since we last talked, Tennessee actually the day after we published the last podcast that you and I did together, Tennessee got a commitment and, and also a signee in the 2021 class. And that was Andre Tamba of Knox Catholic, who was originally in the 2022 class, the second big man to reclassify for Tennessee and sign with them this 21 class. And honestly, Gene, this this 21 class for Tennessee, in my recent memory, is the like literally biggest height-wise, size-wise signing class that I remember Tennessee ever having, at least in my lifetime, because you have Tombo, who's a seven-footer, by the way, has a seven-foot, six-wingspan, which is insane. Honey uh, Hatfield, who's 6'10". Uh, you also have... Oh, wow, my mind just is totally blanking on the other big man they, they brought in, but you have another guy who's 6'10", six, 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 oh, uh, Adu, who's 6'11", or so. Um, even the guards you brought in, aside from Kenny Chandler, I mean, Justin Powell isn't technically a recruit, but He's six six. Debonje, I think, is six six. I think Meshack's six five. So like that's it's a pretty long, pretty tall, pretty big class. Uh a lot of these guys need to add some weight, but that, that that's that's a pretty darn like you addressed you needed to address the uh the front court for the future, and I think we'll see what the returns ultimately end up being, but I think at least on paper you've addressed that the needs of, you know, hey, trying to establish a foundation with the front court. I think to me, I want your thoughts on it because I kinda got to share mine and the interview with, with uh, Coach Hall last week. I think, to me, Tomba has... We, we've used this word so many times on this podcast, both negatively and positively, but I think he has potential. But I think, to me, like the thing that stands out is he's probably going to be able to come in this year and redshirt. And I think that's going to be huge for him because I look at what... I, I compared him in my interview and on Twitter both to uh, Kyle Alexander at Tennessee. Alexander desperately needed a redshirt year when he first got to Tennessee but could not do it because Tennessee had basically no one in the front court. You had Derek Reese was kind of your main, like your main guy in the front court. He's six, eight and he's Derek Reese and you had Jabari McGee, but he wasn't playing a whole lot. He had Ray Kasongo, but again, he wasn't playing a whole lot. So like Alexander had to come in and he started like over a dozen games as a, as a true freshman that year when he really needed to red shirt and, and bulk up and learn the game more because he hadn't played for very long. Just like Tom, but this was like his fourth year, I think playing basketball period or fourth or fifth year playing. So like, he hasn't played very long either. I think this is a, a, a move that's not like Tennessee doesn't need him to come in and contribute immediately this year. They don't need him to really contribute immediately, even the following year, his second year in the program. But I think to me, I, I, it was a, a move we talked about months ago happening, Gene, and finally it just it finally did become official and happen. But I like the I like what, what Tama brings us potential and everything I've ever heard from any coach and from any analyst that's ever watched him play is that he is going to give you maximum effort out on the court all the time. He's gonna fight free rebounds. He's a guy that works extremely hard. And I think that fits in really well with what Rick Barnes and the staff, you know, the the culture that Tennessee basketball has built. Um, over the last five years or so. So I think he's a good fit, and I, I really like that he will be able, most likely, unless there's a bunch of injuries or something, be able to come in and have what Kyle Alexander couldn't. That's a redshirt year to develop and learn and not have to be thrown into the fire and immediately, like with Vescovi too, have to come in and play and just say, oh, well, we need you. Like, you don't need Tamba to play this year. He can learn and 
get better that way. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting about Tomba is that when I watched, while you were talking, I was sitting here watching some of his highlights just to kind of remind myself because it's been a while since I've actually seen him live. But one advantage that Tomba has in the event that you need him to do something or anything, he's actually played in the post. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of his highlights, like, I mean, he snuck out there and maybe shot a three on occasion. But most of his stuff is, like, at the basket, like in in the paint, like just battling for position, getting the ball. Uh, you read all the stuff about how you know he doesn't get outworked on the boards, and that's just that's that's like a, a skill that you can't really. I'd be interested to see how. I'd be interested to see practices between him and Kamala, because yeah. those are two guys who will. I mean, who have shown at times to be relentless on the boards. And, uh, you know, like there aren't that many seven footers just floating around the AAU game. I mean, there's a kid in Chattanooga who's seven foot one. Um, but, I mean, there's a kid at Hamilton Heights who's like 6'11, but there aren't that many seven footers, which means you don't always get a lot of opportunities to go up against guys your size in AAU, which sometimes affects how some of these kids play. But regardless of who Tomba went up against, you know, Tomba played in the paint. And, and I think it probably helps that <laughs> the three perimeter players for that Bobby Mays team are going to Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Providence. And uh, B.J. Edwards, uh, Presley Patterson, and uh, Quante Berry. So you've got three, you know, power five level, you know, you know, big, you know, big time level guards. Um, you don't have much of a choice. You can't. I mean, you can float around. I mean, heck, it's crazy that that off that starting lineup in April. Yeah, the starting lineup in April for that Bobby Mays team was B.J. Edwards, Presley Patterson, Quante Berry, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, and Tomba. So you're talking about three Tennessee guys, two of, you know, two of whom are on campus now, a uh, third kid who's committed there, a kid who's going to another SEC school, and a kid who's going to Providence. Heck of an AAU program. But, um, you know, I think because of that, Thomas kind of had to figure out how he could be effective. And so he spent a lot of time in the paint, in the post, and doing things of that nature. So... Um, uh, I mean, he probably he's very much a project, uh, but that doesn't mean. Yeah. Um, I think your fear is that Tomba's kind of a project, Adu is a project, um, Kamala has been one. You know, you've got Plovs, you know, Plovsic, who's been one. Uh, I mean, ben, you know, Ben, you know, obviously has some moments. In the S in the SEC tournament, or maybe it was the NCAA tournament. It had yeah, I guess Bama. I thought had some good moments in that Bama game. But he couldn't can't guard anybody, so it's slow. You need a quicker version of that. And so they're gonna Tennessee still has to figure out how to maybe get some additional front court minutes there. Had to mix and match some, but I mean, you know, for what you're trying to build, 
you certainly have a firm foundation there going into next year with Huntley. Ha- I'm sorry, no. yeah, uh, no, with Tomba and B.J. Edwards. Now, what can you build around them? Powell, guys like that. But certainly a, a good addition uh, long-term for Tennessee. Yeah, and if, if Canwad doesn't take that step this year, or if he if he does, but still not like a, you know, a sizable enough step because I, I, again I don't I don't think Huntley Hatfield will be back after his freshman year but he could but assuming he's gone and if Camaw doesn't you know show you enough to where you feel comfortable like running with him uh, you'll have a do and Tomba basically is, and Orosh and is like the, the guys there I think forward next off season is where Tennessee is going to take a, a transfer or two like I think you have to um, honestly even even if those even if best case scenario you have Huntley Hatfield return. You have Camwell take a big step. Where even if a dude, you know, turns it on and, and plays where he was a freshman or whatever, Plashvik or whatever, even if you have two or three of those guys like be contributors and look good, and you feel better about the situation after this year, I still think next year you're, you you got to take a transfer forward in, in some capacity for Tennessee. So I think that's a, a, a position where you're. I, I think you have to go and um, address that in the transfer portal, or maybe maybe you can address it in the uh, 22 class with a more polished big man, but I don't like looking at who Tennessee's been pursuing in um, in the 22 class so far in, in terms of like big guys that they've been offering or whatever. They've unless it's Johan Traoré who Tennessee likes and he he is he is like blowing up. I think he's a really good player. Ernest Uday Jr. Those are the two guys that like the two big men who I think could come in and make an instant impact. Other than that, like Tennessee's mostly been looking at guys um, in kind of the guard, like again, kind of the to that position, those basketball type thing. That those guards that are around six five, six six, six seven that can play a two or three or four. Like you're, you're looking at those guys as far as like that Tennessee's really been pursuing. Maybe a Deontay Green. He's about a six nine or so, but again, he's not built like a, a true post player that Rick Barnes likes to have as his five and, and sometimes it is as his fours too. So like to me it's between Uday Jr. and Johan Traore in terms of if Tennessee's gonna get a true big guy in the twenty two class who can maybe come in and make an instant impact one of those two. But again I think that's a, a position that you're going to have to go get in the transfer portal um next year. But yeah I I think you're right though about um Excuse me. Yeah, about about Tamba. Uh, he's a project, and you've got a couple of those guys that are projects with your big men in uh, in the front court. But like like you said, building around him and, and BJ Edwards um, as like a found, your foundation for the future. I think that's not a bad foundation. Tennessee has. We talked about last. Or we talked about multiple times. Not last week. We talked about multiple times in the past few months about like set like finding that foundation for the future. You have those two. You have a guy like Meshack, who I think is going to be here for multiple years. I think Adu will be as well, because again, I think he's he's also kind of more of a project. I don't think he's a little little further along than Tomba, but still, like he's a a guy who's going to be here for multiple seasons. I think. Does Justin Powell stick around for a couple of years? I, I think he will, but again, he's. I, I think we've talked a lot about getting those development pieces, and, and Quentin Debonjay too. Like he's a guy who's I think a a foundational piece. You you need those in place. I think it's we're kind of starting to see those pieces come together a little bit more for the future of the program. And I think it's, it's looking good to me, Gene. Like it's, it's, I want to see what other pieces obviously get added, especially in this 22 class. Cause you have a chance to get, you know, some one and done guys, but also some potentially highly rated players who will stick around for more than one year as well. So like, I, I'm just intrigued by what the 22 class turns out to be, but I think Tomba and BJ Edwards and Meshack 
uh, and Devon Jade, like those are four. You can throw it a do, I guess, too. Like those are four guys that I feel, you know, are are laying down a pretty decent foundation for the future of this program. Once you know, Fulgerson and Josiah James and Bailey and Viscovi and those guys are all gone. And, and again, we we go through the cycle of, you know, after Grant Admiral, all of them were gone. Who was a foundation for the future? And we didn't really have what set at that point because that was kind of an unexpected success. So like this has been more of an expected success, and I think you're seeing the preparation work. Have, have like has gone into it better, and they're more prepared for what the future is bringing. And, and maybe it's maybe I'm, maybe it's orange tinted glasses. I don't know, but I just based on what I've seen and based on like how I'm seeing pieces coming together, it feels that way. It feels like there's more of a preparation for what you're trying to do for the future and and setting that foundation with these types of guys. Yeah, no, but I think I'm yeah, good. That man, I'm good with that. <laughs> okay, in that case, then I think it's where we'll uh, end the podcast then. So long one but again we had a lot to talk about and we kind of talked about the draft for a little bit longer than I expected but I thought it was good hopefully you guys agreed hope you guys enjoyed it uh, let us know your thoughts if you want about you know the the guys Keon and Jade where they went and their spots and you know heck if you th- if you think they should have come back for another year let us know let us know why if you think we're wrong we'd like to hear why we're wrong and then we like to talk about it until why we think we're right again so let us know if you think we're wrong uh, why you think we're wrong so let us know about that let us know your thoughts on Tamba Anything else, if you have anything else you want us to cover for a future episode, let us know. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Facebook. Again, Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Uh, go follow us, go like us, and subscribe to the show while you're there as well. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps where you get podcasts. Subscribe to us there and leave us a review. Uh, a nice review, please. That'd be awesome. Would really, really appreciate that. But signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 